We've had an incredible month. We've had an incredible month looking at the vision that God has given us through scriptures to love God and his people, to build Jesus-centered lives, and to send spirit-led disciples. And I've, I've challenged you to do three things. Attend service, join a group, and join a team. So you, by default, you've, you've done one. Thanks for being here. Get, look at the person next to you and be like, you win. All right, you got the one done. That's good. Let me tell you about the response. Um, we have had 120 new people who had never been in a group before join a group this month. We have had 80 new people, never served on a team before, sign up to serve on a team this month. So we are in a great trajectory. Thank you for your faithfulness. I really believe we are an exciting path to where God wants to take us to this new chapter. And so to celebrate all of this tonight, to bring us to uh, the close of this series, we are going to have a worship night at 6.30 here in the sanctuary. Please come and listen for God's voice for your life. Come and listen for God's voice for this church. Um, as I was praying yesterday, um, about the worship night this evening and just asking God for, for encouragement and excitement, he said this to me, um, Nicole, you're going to have a funeral. And I said, God, I don't have time for a funeral because I got this worship night, you know, like going on. So Pastor Don's going to have to do that funeral because I just don't think I can do it. And, and he said, no, 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 no. You're going to have a funeral Sunday night for fear. And you're going to have a funeral for insecurity, and you're going to have a funeral for rejection, and you're going to have a funeral for all the things that need to die in our life so that the Holy Spirit can grow up and do something new. And I'm so excited about that. So I want to invite you to my funeral tonight, all right? <laughs> I want to invite you to come and to worship with us and, and allow God to do something new. I love that song we've been singing, the new wine. God, would you make us new wine? Would you do something in us that maybe crushes something old so that something new can come? So today, I want to end the This Is Us series talking about worship. And so I want to bring our attention to Matthew 15, 1 through 9. And it says this, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So, I don't know about you, but the word that stuck out to me in this passage is the word tradition. It's the word tradition. Say that out loud this morning. Tradition. Now, tradition in and of itself is not a bad thing. We have many cultural traditions that are beautiful. They're, they're meaningful. Even in the church, traditions can create this familiar context that gives us closeness to Christ. Um, but in this passage, and, and what I believe to be true, is there's a very fine line between traditions becoming good and traditions having a dark side. And this passage teaches us that religious traditions can become sinful, especially when they cause us to set aside clear commands from God's word. Or they can become a substitute for entering into true relationship with the Father. 
And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Verses 1 and 2. So Pharisees and teachers come to Jesus. They say, why do your disciples break the tradition? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Why is this a big deal? Besides it being just gross, okay? Why are they doing that? Um, Historically, the Jewish leaders and the scholars, they had developed this detailed set of rules and regulations. And they they were sent into captivity because they had ignored and broke rules. That's why their ancestors spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. So now they are overcompensating to make sure that this will never happen again. So now it's rules upon rules upon rules. And actually how they describe it is these rules and regulations are intended to serve as a fence around the law helping to keep people stay safe so that they don't accidentally wander out of God's will. So here's the rule about the rule for the rule so you can make sure that you do it. And so as time went on, these rules and regulations, though they initially had this really good motive to keep people uh, in, in the will of God, they became more important to the leaders than the law itself. Okay? They became more important to the leaders than the law itself. And the scribes and the Pharisees had devoted themselves to studying these rules and regulations and to elaborating on these applications all day long. So basically, they took it upon themselves to be the people that walk around and point out when you're breaking the rules. Now, Jesus, so, so one of the areas that these um, traditions are is cleanliness, So they're saying cleanliness is really important. And so it was profoundly offensive to them that Jesus did not teach his disciples about washing their hands before they ate. And so Jesus answers their question with a question. I love when he does that. And he challenges them and he says, well, let me answer your question why they're not washing their hands before they eat. Why do you break the command of God for a tradition? And the guys in the back are going, ooh. What are they going to say? And he has this moment. And here's the tradition he's talking about, because it kind of talks about that in the passage. And if you don't know the backstory, there's this tradition that if someone pledged money or other resources to the temple for the service of God, and then the money had to be turned over to the temple upon their death and could not be given to anyone else. So the person who made the pledge could still use the money, but they were forbidden from giving it to anyone else because it it was now called what they called it Corbin, which means a gift set apart for God. So if someone said, this is the money I'm going to give to the temple, they could not use it for anything else. And the tradition was held so strongly that even if a man made a vow to give that money to the temple and found out later that his aging parents were in dire financial need, they could not afford to even eat, he was forbidden by rabbinical law from giving them anything. And it had this appearance of of being an act of great devotion to God, but Jesus said this, this is how your religious tradition has actually become sinful because it has caused you to break the very commandment that I gave you to honor your mother and father. That's what he means when he says all those things. He says, here's the thing, verse 7, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And so in their effort to follow all of these rules, they actually aren't pleasing God at all. In the original context, um, the word is akuru, meaning to void authority, to invalidate, 
to make no effect. And the Pharisees and the scribes make God's commandment of no effect by their tradition. So, so they literally do something, and because they're doing it and it's a rule that they're following, they're taking the very power out of the word of God, which is the thing that they're supposed to be following in the first place. And the passage goes on to explain what happens when we rest on religious traditions more than God's word. It says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And Jesus puts his finger on the real issue and he calls the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. Now, the word hypocrite means an actor. It means a, an actor in an ancient play. It's metaphorical. It describes someone who is pretending to be something that they're not. And I, I feel led to ask you this morning, have you ever felt that way in your life? Have you ever felt like you were pretending to be someone that you were not? That you were pretending to be someone that you were not, even whether you wanted to or not, you just felt the pressure that you had to be that, or, or you felt like you had to do that so people wouldn't get upset with you, or that you wanted a certain position or a certain direction in your life, and you feel like you had to be someone that you're not. The greatest danger in placing too much authority on tradition is it produces an outward show. It produces an outward show. And too much dependence on tradition creates an outward show of spirituality that we don't really possess. And at the end of the day, the show means very, very little to Jesus. At the end of the day, the true spirituality is about what's happening in our heart. And so tradition can easily become a substitute for true relationship with God. And that gets dangerous because nothing can be substituted for a true relationship with God. Nothing. Do you remember when Jesus uh, was teaching in a sermon on the Mount, and he said this in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, have done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Have you ever read that and thought, how is that possible that people are going to be healing and they're going to be acting in, in Jesus and in, in his authority, but, but they're not going to actually know God? Well, this is exactly what that scripture is saying, is that many people will act it all out on the outside and walk in the traditions really, really well. But at the end of the day, when they face Jesus, he will say, I never knew you. And I fear that there will be many people who will hear those words from Jesus who thought they had a relationship with God simply because they were very careful to observe the religious traditions of men. In the eyes of others, they would have been the most religious people of all. But yet the whole time, they were going through the motions, and they never experienced a genuine relationship with God. And that's when traditions can get very, very dangerous. Because traditions can cause us a false sense of relationship. The other thing that traditions can do is give us a false experience of worship. Traditions can give us a false experience of worship. So our preferences, our traditions on type of music and length of music and genre of music, all of that stuff can distract us from truly worshiping. When we make excuses that we cannot engage in worship because it's not our style or our tradition, we are literally living out this passage in the scripture. We are like the Pharisees because we are exalting our traditions over a commandment of God to exalt him. 
And so we cannot say, because of that style or that genre, I just couldn't worship. God would say to you, then you are putting the commandment of a tradition above the commandment of what I'm saying. And when we come to worship in any capacity, it's so important for us to prepare our hearts because if we don't, if we don't actually do the work of preparing our hearts, it will be so much easier to let our preferences rule the experience than the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. If we do not prepare our hearts, it is so much easier to let our preferences rule the experience than the Holy Spirit. Because then all of a sudden, our traditions and our experiences is what makes it good or not. But when we say, God, our commandment is to come and worship you, and that is what we will do, then the Holy Spirit can rule that experience no matter what happens. So you might ask me, how do you prepare your heart for worship? Here's two things I think that are really practical tools, okay? The first is, start by visualizing what he did for you. So that, that means you got to like get your coffee and get yourself all cleared away when you walk in this room at 10. We start at 10 in case anyone, just kidding, <laughs> kind of. And you walk in and instead of like processing like are the colors coordinated on the stage? Like what, you know, who's preaching today? Let me see. Oh, there's a, something coming up. You know, like instead of doing all that, that you start preparing your heart for worship. And you start by visualizing what he did for you. And let me remind you, actually right now, would you just close your eyes for a second? Just visualize this. His son, God's son, was sinless and perfect and was obedient even to death on the cross. He suffered, bled, and died so our sins could be forgiven. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. He then rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he went to heaven to intercede for you, and he did not leave you alone. He sent the very spirit that raised him from the dead to be here with you and in you. You can open your eyes. That gets you ready for whatever song Quint's about to start. That prepares your heart to say, God, you have done these things for me, and here I am to just give you a little bit back. How do you prepare your heart for worship? You think about who he is. So you visualize what he did for you, and you think about who he is. So close your eyes again. He is your rock. Just visualize this as I tell you. He is your redeemer. He is your righteousness. He is your deliverer. He is your defense. He is your shield. He is your salvation. He is your strength. He is your bread of life. He is your living water. He is your good shepherd. He is the true vine, the way, the truth, the life. He is the light of the world, the lamb of God, the lion of Judah. He is all-powerful, ever-present. He is God through and through. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. And Jesus is the soon and conquering king of kings and lord of lords. And that's not even all. Those are just a few I picked up. When your heart is right about before the Lord, you will be able to connect to Jesus through any tradition. You will be able to connect to Jesus through any off-pitch music. Not that that ever happens here. You will 
be able to connect with Jesus through a song you've never heard and through a song you've heard so many times that you could sing it without even letting it touch your heart. Traditions can give us a false experience of worship, but when we connect to the real living God, we will always worship in spirit and in truth. How could you possibly get distracted by the type or the style of worship when you are focused on all of who God is and all of what that God did for you? All of that other stuff just pales in comparison. Now, the reason why I've been challenging everyone each week to attend service is because worshiping Jesus together is one of the most important things we can do. Worshiping Jesus together. It plays an indispensable role in rekindling our spiritual fire and keeping it burning. Corporate worship brings together God's word, prayer, and fellowship all into the same moment. In fact, Don Whitney is a great author. He said it best. There's an element of worship in Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God only gives in the meeting together with other believers. And he says this in the scripture. So today, to end, I just want to quickly give you five blessings I believe we experience in corporate worship. Five reasons why you should show up to worship together. And the first one is clarity. Often we come into corporate worship feeling this sense of spiritual fog. Spiritual fog. We need to recalibrate. We need to remember what's really important. In Psalm 73, the psalmist is, is despairing over this hardship he's facing because of some wicked people in his life. And in verses 16 and 17, it's as if the fog clears. And this is what he says. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. He's saying the spiritual haze was thick, but the breakthrough came in the context of corporate worship. That's where the breakthrough came, which then leads to this clarity moment where he says in verses 25 through 26, whom, I, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In corporate worship, we find clarity we come in foggy, we come in not sure, and then we get here and we worship together and God clears the spiritual haze and there's clarity. Second, community, community. In corporate worship, we find community. We're not made to do this spiritual journey alone. You know, I love it when, um, and I understand it, when, when pastors or, or leaders say, okay, just zone everybody out you know, you're in corporate worship, just focus on an audience of one. And there's something to be said of that because you want to make sure you're not holding back because someone else is there or that kind of thing. But I believe that sometimes don't zone each other out. Look around and watch how that person who has struggled and has gone through a significant loss is now worshiping the Father. That will encourage me every day of the week. When I look out and see some of you who have gone through very difficult things, some, some of you are in the very middle of it, and you are just saying, God, I am abandoning myself to you. That brings this level of encouragement, this level of, of challenge to me that I will find no other place. We need each other. We need to understand God through each other. And it's so interesting because worship in the local church points us to worship in the universal church. At the end of the day, for all of eternity, we will be worshiping together in community. It won't just be you and God alone in heaven. Zone everybody out. No, I'm going to read to you Revelation 7, 9. 
After this I looked, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes, and we were holding palm branches in their hands. We're going to be worshiping in community forever. So get used to it now. Get used to it now. My husband went to Bible college, and uh, I remember his freshman year, he called me up. He says, I assigned seat in chapel, uh, which was, you know, strange for him. And he's, and he's kind of reserved kind of guy, if you know him. And he says, the guy next to me is a jumper, just jumps the whole time. Slow song, he's jumping, you know. And, and the other guy doesn't know his space, so he just, like, is hitting me in the face all the time, flailing his arms out. And he's like, pray for me. I'm like, okay. So I remember I pray for him, pray for him. You know, okay, God, just help him not be distracted in worship. You know, we talk every day. <laughs> Two weeks later, he goes, Nicole, the one guy broke his leg, the other guy broke his arm. <laughs> I said, you're kidding me. He's like, they both sit the whole time. I feel really guilty. <laughs> I said, Joel, I don't think our prayers are that powerful. Corporate worship brings community. We gotta be together. We gotta be together to see the fullness of God. Third, change, change. You know, I really believe this. When the enemy takes, what the enemy takes years to ruin, what the enemy takes years to ruin in your life, years to, to let you buy into the lie, Jesus Christ can heal in a minute. He can heal in a minute. He can heal in a moment. But in corporate worship, we can experience healing and growth and transformation on the spot. And I believe that there are times when the Holy Spirit takes the scripture read and the prayers spoken and the chorus is sung and the truth preached and, and he brings it all to this point of need and he heals us in the moment. And when you're not here, you miss the moment. When you're not in corporate worship, you miss the moment. When we join in corporate worship, God loves not only to change our minds, but to irreversibly change our hearts. And when we do not have regularly consistent corporate worship, I believe we can miss out on the miraculous that God wants to do in those moments. Number four, correct posture, correct posture. In private worship, some people say to me, you know, I worship all the time. I worship in my car. I worship in the morning. Uh, but here's the thing about private worship. It's good. Keep doing that. But you're in the driver's seat. Okay, you get to skip on your Spotify list. You're not in the mood for that one. You, you get to decide what passage to read. You get to decide when to pray and what to pray. You get to decide how long to linger in, in the Bible reading, what songs to listen to. But in corporate worship, you're not deciding, you're responding. Other people preach, other people pray, other people select the songs, other people decide how long to linger in each element. And because of that, that puts you in a position to receive. You have to, you have no control, you can't mute from your seat, okay? Some of you wish you could, but you can't. So here's the thing, corporate worship requires this humility and unselfishness. It requires this opportunity to be led. It, gives us, it puts us in a position to receive. And when we're in a position to receive, God can give us more. When we're in a position to receive, God can give us more. Here's the last one, number five. And just to be honest with you, I couldn't think of a C word. I was really bummed, but joy. Can you just say joy? I'm okay with that. It's joy, Nicole. It doesn't have to be a C word. Last but not least, when we worship together, we get double the joy. 
It's just true. A Swedish proverb says a shared joy is a double joy. It's this happy awareness that we are not alone in our, in our souls being satisfied in him. We are not alone. We, when we do this together, it just makes us more joyful. It, it just adds to our joy. Corporate worship blesses us with clarity, community, change, correct posture, and joy. And I believe that attending a service, engaging in worship, is one of the most important things we can do each week. And I want to encourage you to treat it as so. Make sure it is not the first thing to go when things get busy. Make sure it is not the first thing in your schedule to shift. Make, make sure that you make it priority. And don't get fooled by the fact that if you just listen on your own or listen to some podcasts throughout the week or watch some worship, that that substitutes coming in with real, living, breathing people and having the Spirit of God show up and talk to us for the common good. So here's how we're going to end today. Would you stand up? The worship team is going to come. And I think very fittingly, we're going to sing worship together corporately. We're going to sing worship together corporately. And I want you to prepare your hearts right now. Prepare your hearts by remembering what God has done for you, by remembering who he is, Even right now, don't think about lunch yet. Just prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts for what God has done, what what he has done for you, and who he is. And we're going to worship this song, this song that talks about newness in us. And then don't forget to come back tonight at 6.30. Come back tonight knowing that God's going to do some really incredible things. He's going to take things out of us that need to shift and need to die, and he's going to breathe new life into us. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll worship this morning to close our service. Father, I thank you so much that you are so worthy to be praised. God, I thank you that we don't have to look very far or think very long to think of things to thank you for and things to call you holy for. And I pray today that you would give us the correct posture that we would receive from you. God, I pray that you would bring clarity, that you would bring community, God. Lord, that you would bring change, that we would be lives changed, God, that we would not stay the same. Lord, that you would do something new and different in us. And God, I do pray for great joy, that as we worship together, your Holy Spirit would bring us great joy. And God, it's in your holy name we pray. We worship you this morning. Amen. In the pressing, you are making new wine. In the sore life, now surrender, you are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. So make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing but all you.
But all 